Hello, and welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed Senior Thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Albert Corellis, and today we'll be talking with Reed Sociology major Hannah Card about her thesis on chronic illness and time management. Let's hear it, Hannah. My name is Hannah Card, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm a sociology major, and my thesis is titled Resting Time is Not Wasted Time, Chronic Illness, Time Perspectives, and the Reed Student Experience. My thesis looks at how Reed students with chronic illnesses conceptualize and experience time and how they manage time relating to illness and also school, and what managing time looks like in an institutional context at Reed. I look at not only how people like qualitatively experience time, and that ended up not being a super huge focus of my project, but then also looking at the strategies people use to manage their time in terms of getting things done, keeping up with expectations and deadlines. Can you tell me a bit about how you got into sociology? Did you know that you were doing sociology right from the get-go or like how did you settle into that major? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I realized that I kind of chose sociology as a major in high school before even really knowing what sociology was or (laughs) anything about it. And it just happened to be the right thing for me. In high school, I was pretty good at math and science, but Things like that weren't interesting enough to me. They didn't seem like they had social implications. And I was really interested in like justice and social problems. How does sociology differ from like other ways of of studying people? Like how is it different from something like anthropology or like poli-sci? Because I know you're like doing data science to to people en masse. But like what does that really look like? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty broad field, and there are lots of different ways that you can look at things sociologically. You can look at things statistically with quantitative methods, like large-scale things, and then there's also the micro-level, which is what my project is, which can look more at personal experience. But I think what makes sociology unique is the consideration of not only those individual level factors, but also cultural factors, institutional factors, and organizational factors. And yeah, a lot of other fields don't really take a systematic approach to looking at all those different factors, and sociology kind of brings it all together to get a more comprehensive picture of social problems. That's super cool. So you said that you were interested in this starting in high school. Did that factor into choosing Reed? Not really related to sociology at all. I kind of chose Reed in the same way I chose sociology. You know, it just sounded cool, sounded like a good idea, and I went with it. And I grew up in Corvallis, Oregon, and I wanted to stay in the area. And yeah, I thought Reed seemed like a good option, and I really liked the academic environment and like prioritizing what you're interested in, the academic environment, and really the emphasis on pursuing the acquisition of knowledge. Life of the mind or something like that. Exactly. So to circle back to your thesis, what has an average day of working on your thesis looked like? What does thesis entail for you? So early on, because this is a project that uses human subjects, pretty much the first task for me was getting IRB approval, which is the Institutional Review Board. So 
my first step before doing any research or anything was figuring out what exactly my research would be looking at and figuring out my methodology and doing that. And then after that, it was about organizing my data collection. So I did focus groups as well as individual interviews. And I kind of used my focus groups to decide what questions I would focus on in my individual interviews and kind of use that to shape what I would be looking at when analyzing my data later. First semester, that was a lot of the process, just like organizing the logistics of all that stuff and then working on my lit review. And then second semester, once I had done all my interviews, was pretty much about going through my data, deciding how I was going to analyze it and structure my results, and then writing it up. Does it feel good to be done? Yes, it's still weird because it doesn't feel very done to me. Like I could keep working on this for so long and it was kind of hard to be like, I just have to accept that what I have now is what it's going to be. And, you know, I can come back to it if I want to later. For coming up with my results, I kind of focused on keeping the results grounded in the data. Mm -hmm. That was the approach I took. So I wasn't looking for like a some sort of systematic results of like these people use their time in these ways and this is why. I kind of just presented all the different ideas that came up with my data. Yeah. So what I focused on mostly for my analysis was time perspectives. How I kind of define time perspectives is that time perspectives reflect people's ideas about how time is and should be structured and spent and experienced. And those ideas embody deeply held beliefs and aspirations and people's values and sense of self. And all of those things are very influenced by chronic illness and also by broader structural factors, institutional factors, and broader sociocultural beliefs. I kind of looked at how time perspectives and looking from the lens of time allows not only a fuller understanding of people's lived experience with chronic illness, but also how people respond to or attempt to fit into normative time structures. So yeah, I looked at a lot of strategies people use to manage their time. Mm -hmm. And a big portion of that was looking at how people used academic accommodations for disabilities. And then I also looked at other time use strategies people used, like pacing, which would be like considering all that you need to get done in the day and kind of balancing that with whatever... Yeah physical resources you have in terms of chronic illness that would be managing like how much energy you have to do a certain thing at a certain time and considering how much rest you need and incorporating that and then some people used more like time blocking so if you know your symptoms impact you more in the evening than trying to schedule to get all your work done during the day and then i also kind of looked at how people use those approaches and strategies in relation to illness and like how people fluctuate between those and then how all of those strategies in their own ways reflect attempts to not only conform to normative expectations about time use but also um, resist them and how people like kind of take their time back in different ways. So you're looking at how people time manage in relation to chronic illness and then kind of setting that within this larger structure of like, here are the societal forces people are responding to when they do that. Yeah, societal ideas about chronic illness and disability and productivity, and then also like the specific institutional context of Reed, mm -hmm. you know, how the semester is like very bounded in time. You can't just like take two weeks off in the middle of the semester and yeah. do other things. 
One big thing I found was that disability accommodations as they are now don't usually cut it for chronic illness. Going into the project, I expected to see a split of like people who use accommodations and people who don't, but I found that that split doesn't really exist. Lots of people have some sort of interaction with accommodations, and then outside of that, people will go to their professors independently and like ask for extensions, you know, say, I'm not going to be able to make it to class today. Like, what can I do to make up that? time and yeah because the accommodations process is so individualized yeah those two experiences don't end up being that much different because no matter what when you get a disability accommodation because it's so individualized you still have to go to your professor and negotiate with them to see how those accommodations will play out yeah and that depends a lot on not only your ability to get an accommodation. There are lots of things to consider with that, like people who don't have Mm -hmm. documentation of their disability or people who don't identify as disabled, so they don't even think that accommodations would be right for them. But there's also like how individual professors see accommodations, Mm -hmm. you know, how they determine whether you actually need them or not, and then what they look like. And then aside from, you know, professors ideas about accommodations. There's the ideas you've internalized about how professors will see it. So a lot of people will put off going to their teachers because they're worried that they'll Mm -hmm. not give people the accommodations they need. Would you say that there's not a really consistent difference between going to DAR and and like people who just hash things out with their individual professors? Yeah, in terms of how it works out and people's experiences, there it varies professor to professor, of course, and like some professors will require like if you're gonna ask for flexible deadlines or extensions, they'll request that you go through DAR to get that approved. Mm -hmm. But because it ends up being an individual negotiation, some people found that it was just easier not to go through DAR and just to go to their professors. And some professors prefer that, some don't. It just depends. Did you run into any unexpected problems while doing your thesis, whether like during researching, getting your interviews approved by the IRB or any stuff like that? Honestly, it all went better than I thought it would. My advisor and I were originally pretty worried about not having enough, being able to find enough participants. Mm -hmm. So we were really worried about me getting my like initial interest survey to collect participants out on time. But I actually got a lot more responses than I thought I would which was great and made it easier for me. That is great. Yeah, but it was also kind of sad because, like, I have all these responses and, you know, because the individual interviews are, like, so involved and go into people's history and their background and their earlier Mm -hmm. experiences, you can only do that with so many people. So I was kind of, like, kind of sad that, you know, I I couldn't interview everyone who responded. Yeah. And I guess there were... A few issues that didn't really end up being issues, and I am chronically ill, so, you know, I have knowledge of what that looks like, and for me, I tend to not really be able to do much more outside of academics, and then I also um, do music. I play in the orchestra and chamber music, Mm -hmm. and outside of that, during read, I've really not had the capacity to do anything else, so I kind of expected that to be an issue with my participants, and... 
yeah, a lot of my participants from my focus groups who had said that they would be able to make it weren't able to make it last minute because they were having a flare up of symptoms or something else came up. So I had smaller focus groups than I had originally thought I would, but the smaller numbers actually worked out quite well because, you know, we only have a limited amount of time and people have a lot to say. So yeah, it worked out. So during that whole process, did you learn any new skills or like strengthen skills that you already had during your thesis? Yeah, definitely. I think just conducting a research project and coming up with all of it start to finish was a huge thing that I had never done before. Conducting the interviews and focus groups was a huge learning experience because I had never done anything like it before. Yeah. And I was I was really nervous about it. After each interview and after each focus group, I would be like, hmm, I don't know if that went so well. I don't know if I did a good job. But (laughs) after compiling the data and looking at it all, you kind of realize you figure it out as you go along. It was a great learning experience Mm -hmm. and made me excited about potentially doing more of this work in the future, which I hadn't really thought would interest me. That's good. So just like interview skills, focus groups running those so as to be conducive to collecting data. Yeah. How do you collect data from an interview like that? The analysis process looks different depending on what your project is, but Mm -hmm. I recorded all the interviews, transcribed them, which is a thing in and of itself. It's so time consuming and people aren't always super eloquent when they're just talking about their experiences. It's really hard to go back and piece together like, oh, this is like half of a sentence kind of, and I think I know what they meant, but I have to make sure it ends up making sense. And my analysis process, I didn't really have an approach going in. I kind of just, you know, read through all the interviews over and over, thought about it, thought about different ways of coding, but I didn't end up doing any coding in any systematic way. I kind of just, Mm -hmm. it was a back and forth process of like reading through things, taking these pieces of things people say, seeing if, you know, anyone else had similar experiences. And it was a lot of, took a lot of iterations of like trying to figure out how to piece all the data together. So what led you to this thesis topic in particular? Why chronic illness and time management? First, I can talk about the time stuff. Some of the work I did earlier at Reed with my qual and projects in other classes focused a lot on time in relation to work. My qual was about overwork and like work-life balance. I think that kind of sparked an interest in like how people use time and how it looks qualitatively and like how time is structured institutionally and also influenced by cultural values. So yeah, I just kind of took this idea of time and noticed that it's really taken for granted. We can't really separate it out from our experience of anything. It's always happening. Time is always passing. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. (laughs) Yeah. And like in sociology and like all disciplines, pretty much, you know, it's taken for granted as a factor, despite like how much it actually structures our lives. Mm -hmm. That was a big interest of mine. And then my personal experience with chronic illness also was my main interest in the topic. At Reed, my own experience with chronic illness and then also with ADHD, which I don't focus on in this project, but I think is like a huge 
mm-hmm. factor in like how I think about time, how I use time and the struggles I have with using time. All of that really influenced my academic experience and day-to-day life managing chronic illness and managing school. I always felt like time moved around me in a way it didn't for other people. (laughs) And so I was really interested in looking at that more, not only to see like how other people thought about time and time use, but also kind of as a way to understand my own experience. How do you think that your thesis will relate to work you could potentially do in the future? Um, You said that like you weren't really, you didn't know that you were interested in this type of research until you started really doing it. Do you think that you'll want to continue researching stuff like time and chronic illness? Yeah, I really have no idea what my future career path will look like. And I think that's kind of also related to mm-hmm. this idea of time perspectives because it is really hard for me to like think about beyond college when I'm like still in it and still getting through it. I haven't given that much thought to it, but because of my struggles with managing time and like the struggles I have had at Reed, it's been really rough getting to this point, but I finally made it work somehow. But because I had had such a hard time, I was like, "Yeah, I am out, going to be done with academia. I'm not pursuing this any further. After I am done with this, that'll be enough for me. But doing this project kind of made me rethink that and like, yeah. maybe I do want to keep doing this kind of research and see, you know, see where else I could go with it. But I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what I decide. So your thesis kind of like reopened academia as a possibility for you. Well, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any advice for thesising Reedy's future? Yeah, I guess the first thing is realizing that if you are not ready to thesis, you don't necessarily have to. If you're feeling like, you know, it's coming too fast and you're not ready Mm -hmm. and you need time to rest, take time off and take time to rest and do that. And that's fine. If it doesn't end up working out, that's fine too. Something that helped me get through this project, I think was realizing that it's okay if I don't get through this project, just like keeping in mind your own limits and also your own values with like how you are using your time. But another big thing and something that was huge for me is to do something that is interesting or personal to you. If you have a personal interest, At the beginning of the process, I didn't really have any concrete ideas about what to do for a thesis, and I had like a lot of ideas that could work, but I'm really glad I chose this one because throughout the process, it was important to me the whole way through, and that really kept me going and like wanting to do well on it. But yeah, if you have any, you know, idea about something that's interesting and relevant to you, even if, you know, it's just like a few words that (laughs) seem exciting, talk with your advisor about it, talk with your professors talk with your friends, you'll probably be able to shape it into a project. Other than that, I guess, find a way to work that works for you. You don't have to do what anyone else does. Like if someone is like, I work on my thesis three hours every single day, that doesn't have to mean anything about how you do it. Just find something that works for you. Take time to rest when you need it. Don't try to push through all the way to the end. It's a lot better when you have the capacity to like put all that you can into it. Um, And then, you know, advocate for yourself when you need rest, when you need support, reach out to people. People are there to help and you can do it. (laughs) Sounds like fantastic advice. Before we go, do you have any final remarks, shout outs to advisors, professors, friends? My advisor, Kirsten Whittington, she was my 
academic advisor throughout my time at Reed, and it was really great to work on this project with her. She really like took the time to understand the struggles that I had when I had them and like worked with me to get through those, and that was really great. She's been a great professor, and I've loved all of her classes, so it was really fun to work with her. And then, I guess, also a huge thank you to my participants, because this couldn't have been done literally without them. I hope I was able to take their experiences and make something meaningful out of them. And I really appreciate them all taking the time to participate in this project. Thanks so much, Hannah. It's easy to forget to rest when you have a hundred assignments due and a million pages of reading to get done. But your thesis is a great reminder that some quality rest time is an important component of any student's success. I hope you'll join us again to hear more from students and alumni about what it means to burn your draft. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced, engineered, and hosted by me, Reed College student Albert Corellis. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from Joe Janiga. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member in class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020, and podcast art by alumni Henry Gotchlik and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.